last uh, before we before Christmas, we did a series called The Nature of the Church, and I said that after Christmas we're going to do a series called The Nature of the Christian. Well, we are, but I changed the name <laughs> to Keeping in Step with the Spirit, and it's going to be 10, 11, 12 weeks, depending on how long some of these preachers that I'm choosing to help me go, but um, <clears throat> after completing this series, we thought it would be appropriate to do a series about walking in the Spirit. Actually, we're doing it in conjunction with the, the class on spiritual gifts because it's all kind of gelled together. Today, the first day of 2017, I wonder how many of you are going to write checks and still put 2016 on it. You've done it already. Well, it's only the first day. You you know you'll do it. I've already made. Oh. Oh boy. I'm still trying to get out of 1996, so I, I don't know. <clears throat> but anyway, we're going to read a passage that that encourages us and warns us. It's designed to remind us who we are in Christ and lay out some of the do's and don'ts in keeping step with the Spirit. So I need to do something first here and give Mrs. Bravo. She likes to follow along because she's good at reading lips, but sometimes I slur. So if you would take your Bible and turn... To Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. So I'm reading out of the ESV version. Um, Whatever version you have, it doesn't make much difference. The, The thought pattern follows the same. So if you are there, let's begin reading. Verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or covetous, which is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. Let the Lord bless his word. The passage begins with be imitators of God. (laughs) When I read that, I thought, that's not possible. (laughs) But he's telling us to do it, so there must be a reason for it. So I looked up the word for imitator in the Greek, and it's mimites. And it's where we get our word mime. I want to ask you this. How many of you have seen a mime on a show or on a, on a, on a stage? Or maybe they're really irritating when they're in the park. But, uh, okay. And they, they just, they, they come up and they make you, they say, you know, like they're, they're in a box. And they can't, and they do this, and they're in a box here. They can't get out of this. They make you think they're in a box or a wall or something. And what's really interesting about it is, with this white face and makeup and stuff on, you can almost see the box when they do it, right? You can visually almost see a box around this person, but it's not really there. It's invisible. Well, the word here in Scripture, using this word mime, means to imitate God in a way that we act as if you see God. He's invisible, just like we know that God is invisible. But we're told to mime him so he becomes visible. And unlike that silly box the mime does, he's real. And so when we're imitating him, we're basically effectively telling people that God is real. He's really there. And I'm showing you that by miming him. Now, by imitating him, and nobody does this perfectly, so don't even begin to think that, oh, that's what i got to do and I'm going to blow it. No. But let me just tell you this. Eventually, if you try to fake being a Christian, eventually your old nature will reveal you. <laughs> Faking it doesn't work. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about imitating him as dear children. That's the difference. Okay? You see, he's given his Holy Spirit to us, and he too is unseen. And he leads us to act as God would act in various situations. So we're imitating him in daily lives. When he says dear children, think about what he's saying. For those of you who have children or have had children, you know that they love to imitate their parents. They love to do things that are make their parents approve of them, right? And sometimes uh, we see them imitating us, with, and they're really imitating us, and we wish they weren't. <laughs> because now who, <coughs> who we are is coming out. But in our relationship with Christ, never changes. No matter if we're successful at imitating him or not, it never changes 
because it's based on him holding us and the blood that he shed on the cross. But he goes on to say, as we read, that we're trying to find out what is pleasing to God. Now, he follows that up and he says, now walk in love. And he uses the illustration of how Christ loves. And he says, imitating Christ by this, sacrificing yourself for each other. Hello. <laughs> I didn't know I was buying into that when I was being invited to become a Christian 40 years ago or 43 or whatever it was. But this kind of love is what he's calling us to. You know, later in the chapter, he talks to husbands and says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's when you stop and think about it, you have to come face to face with the cross because that's where he indicated his love. Sacrificial love. We'll talk about this a little bit more, but this is what he means by love. He uses the word agape. He doesn't use the word phileo, or he doesn't use the word eros, or any of the other words having to do with so kind, some kinds of love. He uses the word agape, meaning sacrificial love, unconditional love for each other. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And he says, in this process of offering himself up, Christ became a sweet fragrance to God. As an offering. But then he tells us we are as well a fragrance of Christ to God. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. <clears throat> we are an aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we're a fragrance of death to more death. But to the other, a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? In other words, who can accomplish this without the Spirit of God, right? So he says we're, uh, we're an aroma. We have a smell to us, as it were, to God, but to each other as well. To those, he says, some of the people are, were an aroma from death to death. In other words, they're dead in their sins and they'd really rather not have us around. <laughs> so it just produces more death. But to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we're an aroma of life. To more life, we encourage one another. So this is the kind of approval that we want from our Father God, isn't it? Then he says, now there's some things I want you to avoid here in this process. And he states them in verse 3. He says this. And let me preface this understanding with these things that he's telling us to avoid. He says, there should not be named among you who are saints. Now, I want you to understand that the job of the elders in the church is to guard the church from the influence of people who claim to be Christians and walk like this. That's what our job is, as well as teaching you and helping you grow and so forth. But we have a responsibility. But you know what? It's not just ours. It's the whole church. God has given the whole church the responsibility of protecting each other. In the church. And these three things he talks about here are sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness. The idea of immorality here is the Greek word pornea, where we get our word porn or pornography. 
But it doesn't just mean looking at immoral things. It's actually being an immoral person who performs sexual acts outside of the union of marriage and even offer their bodies sometimes to prostitution. By the way, this word isn't just describing women. It's describing men and women. In fact, sometimes the word is translated homosexuality. Immoral here. Needless to say, if you want to really see the the movement of this, read chapter 1, starting in verse 18, go through the end of the chapter. But it's it, needless to say, it's unacceptable in the kingdom of God. It's unacceptable in the church, especially those God refers to as saints. That's you. <laughs> now, this other word, this next word for impurity is akathartos. And it can be translated several ways, but the primary meaning is unclean or lewd. Unclean or lewd. Not unclean in the sense that you don't wash your body, but you're coming, everything that comes out of you is unclean out of the heart. Lewdness. Even in some cases described as demonic behavior. By the way, this, this word here, impurity, involves pride. A person with a secret agenda, ultimately to use you for their own purposes. The thirdly, we have the word covetousness, which is the Greek word pleonexia. And it's a warning that has another idea of just not just wanting what you have. I want what you have. Okay? It's a conspiring through avarice to get it from you or to get it any way I can. And unfortunately, it comes out of greed and it comes out of, it can even result in extortion in some cases. These three things, he says, are not to be a part of our individual life, body life, or individual people. Now, Paul elaborates on these three things by being more descriptive. He uses words filthiness or obscenity, foolish talk or gossip and slander, crude joking or telling dirty jokes. These come out of the immorality, immorality impurity, and covetousness. The basic problems stem from these three things. John speaks about this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So write those down and look them up later. But listen. 1 John 2:15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, those three things, you say, well, they don't sound exactly like the other three things. Basically, what he's saying is the lust of the eyes, okay, that's covetousness. The lust of the flesh, that's immorality. The pride of life, that's impurity. Pride. These three things come out of, they're in the garden. That's the way Satan got Eve. He got her to say, the tree looks good. The tree looks like it's good for fruit or food. And the tree, when I eat it, this is idolatry, will make me like God. Those are the three things. He hasn't changed his tactics, has he? He's just using different words, but hey, it's the same stuff. Now the warning for people like this is that These people, he says in verse 5, have no inheritance in the kingdom of God in Christ. Now think about this a minute. 
He goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words. It is because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We have to be careful when people go around claiming to be saved and live like this. They're not waiting for heaven. They're waiting for wrath. I don't care if they claim to be a Christian or not. God is calling us into account even before we get before him. Right? And he's saying, look, I didn't save you so you could stay in your sin. I saved you so that you could live a life that mimes me, (laughs) imitates me, reflects me. That's what he called us to. You know, in this new year, we need to think about how we're going to walk the rest of this year. I mean, we, we can just pack away 2016. For some people, it was good. For some people, it was bad. It was terrible for Hillary. <laughs> but, sorry. But the point is, is that a person may come and tell you, well, I asked Jesus in my heart. But then they live like this, and you, you have a responsibility, by the way, that's that to go to that person and say, I'm sorry, but... I believe that you have a real problem in your walk with the Lord. Oh, I couldn't do that. Well, God commands every believer in the, in the Bible to do that. Every believer. At least to start there before you take it to somebody else. But you don't go tell somebody else what they're doing wrong. You go straight to them and say, I don't like, I see what you're doing. They may say, who are you to judge me? Well, that's when you need to be careful. Make sure that you're walking in step with the Spirit as well. But... Every one of you have this responsibility. It's the church who has the authority over believers, not just elders or pastors. Now, he likens this thing here of the sons of disobedience like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Write this down. You can come back to it later. Listen to what he says. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now work at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest. Nobody walks perfectly in their Christian life. Nobody can do this. But the person trying to stay in step with the Spirit doesn't seek these evil things. He's seeking the Lord. You might fall into them once in a while. That just happens to all of us because of our sin nature. But we don't want to stay there. And I think Mike could attest to this, Mike Bravo, that when a pig falls in the mud, it's home. When a sheep falls in the mud, it doesn't want to stay there. So which are you? They like the mud? Got a problem. Then he says this. He reminds us that we were at one time darkness. He didn't say we were in darkness. He didn't say we were following darkness. He said we were darkness. Our whole lives described us as darkness. But now you are light. Jesus said you're the light of the world. Right? Walk like children of light. It said, if you are light, walk that way. 
Now, this word walk is an interesting word. I didn't share this at the first service, but it's a Greek word, parapateo, and it means to walk around. So what do you mean? Well, if you go into the Bible and you start seeing really who you are in Christ and what you've got from the Lord, and it's like a big room full of wonderful things, just walk around in there and learn what those things are. Learn who you are. Walk around in what you got. Walk, and when you got it, then start walking in it. That's what he means. Don't live like you did before. He says, try to discern while you're walking the light what's pleasing to God. Ultimately, that's the reason for walking the light. God's will, right? So we're not to partake in the unfruitful works of darkness. We're actually, he says, expose them. How do you do that? Well, first of all, if you're going to walk in the light, the very light you were in, like it said back in 2 Corinthians, to some we're a fragrance of death, to some we're a fragrance of life, but sometimes we have to expose sin. We can't just tolerate it because we are saints, and it's not becoming to us to do that. God isn't pleased with that, with a church that tolerates sin. That's a tough thing to have to deal with. And I'm not talking about, you know, if you accidentally say something and you wish you hadn't said it or or something like that or you have an evil thought. I'm talking about a person who just decides directly to live in this and no matter what you say to them, "Mm -mm, I'm doing this. And those three things he tells us to avoid are right there. Now, remember that the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience is the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. So that's why he tells us not to be deceived. God wants our fellowship in the Spirit to be pure. Now, while we're walking in the light and trying to discern God's will, we know he's going to lead us in his will. He promised to do it. And then he says expose things because when something's exposed by light, it becomes visible. When you expose sin in your own life, God becomes visible in you. I, it's, it's a tough thing for God for to go to God and say, examine me, Lord. <laughs> Just open the door and say, examine me, Lord. Because he can put his finger on things you never knew were there. But he only does it in love. He only does it so that you can partake of his divine nature. Isn't that wonderful? That's what he says in Hebrews. So, That's why he says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, this is written to Christians. This isn't unbelievers. Awake, O sleeper. How are you sleeping? You're tolerating sin in your life. You're tolerating sin in your church. You're tolerating sin in your family, maybe. Awake up. Take God seriously. Walking carefully, he says, look carefully how you walk, not like unwise, but as wise people, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Look carefully, encompassing the idea of realizing that we be diligent about our walk with the Lord. Never forget that you're justified by the blood of Jesus, and there's nothing you can do to improve on that. (laughs) Nothing. But... Now that you're in his kingdom, your walk should be different than it was before. Completely different. And you should seek wisdom. 
Moses in Psalm 90, verse 10 through 12 said this. I didn't know if you knew Moses wrote a psalm, but he did. He wrote Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, and by reason of strength, 80. Yet the span is but toil and trouble. We're soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger, your wrath, according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We're asking God that we understand how short life is. When my daughter was in that accident, my wife and I, on New Year's Eve, were praying and thanking God that we still have our daughter. That's how quick you can go. And it wasn't her fault. Somebody pulled in front of her. But it could have killed her. It could have killed her baby. So that's how quick we are, we go. Look at, look at Paul Martin. From all appearances, a strong and healthy man. At age 28, he has a stroke. And then another stroke and dies. 28 years old. Wow. See how short life is? could happen to you. By the way, we need to pray for Phil Brown. He evidently had a stroke this, this week. So uh, i got to go talk to him. I talked to him Thursday. He said, I'm fine. But then uh, Amanda told me this morning he hadn't been to the doctor yet. So he says, Bill, you had a stroke. So pray for him. The point being, our lives are short. And in 2017, we can't take anything for granted, (laughs) can we? We're either going to realize that any of us could leave this world quickly or at a moment's notice, we want to present God with a heart of wisdom. Be diligent. So which one do you want to show God when you stand before him? A heart of wisdom or a heart of foolishness? A, <laughs> not B. You know, part of the foolishness here is drunkenness. He says, do not get drunk with wine or any other alcoholic beverage. He didn't say not to drink it. He didn't say it's bad. He said when you do it to excess, it's debauchery. But you know what? In a way, overeating is... Oh, did I go there? Overeating can be the same thing. It's a form of being out of control. Paul told Timothy that wine has a little bit of a medical use to it, so take a little of it for your stomach and ailments. But the opposite of being drunk is what he then says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is an interesting word in the Greek. When I looked it up, I thought, what? I can't even say it very well because P-L-E-R-O-O. How do you pronounce that? You don't know either. Pleroo. Okay. Here's what it means. Uh, uh a professor in Bible college one time set a mason jar on his desk and he took some macadam rock, which is about this size, and he filled that jar up, as many of those rocks he could get in there, and he asked his class, is the jar full? And they all said yes. So then he took some chat, little beady rocks, and poured it in there. And of course, they trickled down everywhere until he got up. He said, is the jar full? Well, we think it is now. So then he took sand. And poured it, and it went between the little rocks and filled up. He said, is the jar full? And most of the kids were afraid to say yes now, I think. 
And then he put, filled it the rest of the way up with water. He said, now it's full. This Greek word, plero, means to cram as much of the Spirit as you can get in yourself. To cram it in. When you get some, cram in some more. You got rock? No, that's not enough. Put chat. But got chat? Put sand. Got enough sand? Put water. But fill up. Cram it in there. How do you do that? You memorize and you meditate on the Word of God with the intent of obeying it. Right? So, then he says, when you're filled with the Spirit and you cram as much of the life of the Spirit and you can get, you're going to present to God a heart of wisdom. Finally, he says, in addressing one another, he says, and speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, a psalm is a poetic scripture that lifts us or comforts us or maybe even shows us how to get out of depression. Hymns are written poems and songs from both yesterday and today's contemporary. And then spiritual songs are those that focus completely on the Lord Jesus and his word. Then he says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, this word, making melody, is a really interesting word. It's the Greek word solo, P-S-A-L-L-O in English. And here's what it means. It's going to surprise you. It means to twitch and twang on a stringed instrument. (laughs) That's what it means. Making melody in your heart. Twitching and twanging on a stringed instrument's. In other words, accompany your music, your psalms, your songs, and your spiritual songs with a stringed instrument. Now, they had a lyre back then, or lyre. I don't know what you call it, L-Y-R-E. But we have guitars. But you see, there is a place for guitars in worship now. Amen? Even a piano is a stringed instrument. Did you know that? Oh, well. But what is the thing we do then the most? Be Thankful for everything. Oh, come on, Lord, you don't mean for everything. I mean, there's some bad things that come up. You don't mean to be thankful for the bad things, do you? Well, actually, he says yes. Think about Romans 8.28 for a minute. We know that God causes all things, all things, Not some things, all things, to work together for the good of those who love God and have been called according to His purpose. Now, which things, you ever see a sign on somebody's wall, prayer changes things? Well, if all things are working for your good, what do you want to change? Oh, we ask God to change things all the time, don't we? Change this, change that. But what He's asking us to do is to be thankful for all things. Now listen, I have to tell you, it was hard for me to be thankful for my daughter's accident because when we were going to the hospital, we didn't know anything about what, how she was. We were just said she had a bad accident, totaled the car, and she's in the hospital. And we jumped in the car and went. I'm really proud of my wife because she kept calm and we prayed together. And, you know, mostly her family's motto is when in danger or in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. But, uh, sorry, Kath. I've seen it happen in her family. I've seen it happen in mine, too. But she was so calm and thankful to the Lord. 
And when we got there, we found out she was all right, and then we were really thankful. But uh, I was very nervous. I can always tell when I'm really, really nervous, my stomach starts to hurt. You too? Yeah. Usually nothing wrong with me. I'm just stressed. So are we to be thankful for the death of a loved one? Are we to be thankful for things that in life that we don't like, things present, things to come? Whoops, doesn't that, the Lord say that all those things can't separate us from God, God's love? So be thankful for them. I'm, I'm sorry that it says this. I, this, is, this is not easy, is it? It's really not easy. People have a tendency to blame God for things, and we plead with God to change things. But what he's really saying is, if I'm in charge and you really believe that, Everything is working for your good. Okay. The struggle John makes is great Right. Gold is only purified by the And so does he not do these things so that we'll lean even harder on him? And so when we start thanking him for it, they become tolerable at that point. I'm you know, this is good preaching. I don't know that I'm living this way, but you know. And finally, he says, submit to one another out of reverence or fear for Christ. Now, this type of submission here is not the kind he talks about a wife to a husband or this or that. This is a word for all of us to submit to one another. Why? Because the only way to serve one another is not to lord it over, but to get under and lift up. Remember, we are nothing more than a pile of dust. A dollar ninety-eight is about the best price they can come up with for the human body. With all the parts. Put it all in a bucket, it's a dollar ninety-eight. And I don't even know what that's for. But if we submit to one another, like Jesus washing the disciples' feet, I mean, don't be like Peter and say, Lord, you're never going to wash my feet. He says, If I don't wash you, you don't have a part with me. Whoops. Made a mistake. No, we're all called by God to serve one another. You have a spiritual gift that God has given you. He wants you to use it. But he wants you to use it in submission to the rest of the church. He wants me to be in submission to you. And I'll just tell you, I will always be your servant while I'm here. But you will never be my master. I have one. But he tells me to imitate him. And if I imitate Jesus, I'm going to be getting down on my knees and washing your feet, whether it's figuratively or not. That's what we're supposed to do. So what's your 2017 year going to look like? Well, if you're here and you don't have the Spirit of God, you need to come to Jesus. Repent and change your mind. Ignore your emotions. They'll deceive you. Just come to him the way you are. I think we're going to sing that, aren't we? And beloved brothers and sisters, here's how we start. Start at the cross. I don't talk about getting saved all over again. I'm talking about now that you have come and been washed in the blood of Jesus, still stay at the cross. You know, we were saying it this morning, to the old rugged cross I will ever cling Why? Because the cross has the power to separate you from the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is the one thing that cuts you off. 
Paul said, God forbid, in Galatians 6, that I should ever boast in anything but the cross of Christ, by which I have been crucified to the world, and the world to me. What does that mean? It means that when you are identified with Jesus by the Spirit of God, you were crucified with him. You died to all that old stuff, the immorality, impurity, and and covetousness. You're dead. Sin's not dead. It's very much alive in you, but you're dead. And you don't have to submit to it anymore because you're like Christ now. You're light. So what are you going to do in 2010? I'm going backwards here. <laughs> what are you going to do in 2017? Lordy, I'm having trouble with this year. I'm surprised we're still here. I thought we'd have been raptured a long time ago. But anyway, here's what you're supposed to do. Imitate God as dear children. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. It's just difficult sometimes, Father, to... We're just amazed at what you ask us to do. But then you never ask us to do anything you don't empower us to do. And so, Lord, I just thank you for your grace. The grace that gives us the ability to thank you for things that are not pleasant. So I I just start a revival right here with me. And rush it all right through this entire church. As we learn who we are in Christ, as we learn how to walk, as we learn that the this power of your grace toward us, directed toward us, help us to imitate you, Father, because we're dear children loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.